Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show. The full number is 877 877- Nine seven three seven four two five. It's remarkable to me the number of people who are just so giddy on the left about Bill Barr testifying as bluntly as he has with the January 6th committee. Uh, these are the same people who vilified him while he was Donald Trump's attorney general. Tells you just how transactional so many people are. Uh, I was going to talk about the Ukraine stuff, and I'll get there, but I actually want to want to talk about what I wrote today. Um, because, and I hope you'll get it. I hope you'll consider it. I hope you'll take it under advisement. If you text the word data to three, three, seven, 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 uh, you can get Stephen Gutowski's piece at the reload on what this new gun control deal in Congress is going to do. Not a lot of gun stuff in it actually. Um, but you can also, the second link will be to my daily newsletter that I send out to readers. You get the show notes if you're a paid subscriber, but a lot of the, the morning stuff I send to everybody. And I wrote a piece this morning called Your Bubble is Undermining Our Democracy. I want to talk to you about bubbles or tribes and the tribalism. One of the benefits I have uh, and, and I do actually think it's a benefit. It was a great pre- piece of advice. My fin- friend Brent Bozell runs the Media Research Center. His father was the ghostwriter for Conscience of a Conservative for Barry Goldwater. Brent Bozell runs the Media Research Center. A heck of a guy. Uh, one of the, the best people in America. I just, I, I adore the guy. And when I was getting started at redstate.com, uh, he was in my corporate office Red State was run and owned by Eagle Publishing in Washington, D.C. They were right there at 1 Massachusetts Avenue, uh, Northwest, in the National Guard building. I think they were on the top floor close to it. And I was there one day, and, and Brent was there, and he asked me what I was doing there. And I explained it to him that they had bought Red State. He says, you're not moving here, are you? He said, no. And we got on the elevator together, and he leaned over, kind of leaned over, put his arm past. I mean, we're on the elevator. I couldn't go anywhere, but he puts his arm over everybody. He looks me in the eye, and he says, do not, Erickson, move to Washington, D.C. Stay as far away as you possibly can. And he said, you know, we've moved out of Washington. He said, moved out into Virginia. They're not far, but he says, even that has done good. You stay as far away as you can. And I, I took him at his word. My wife didn't want to move to Washington anyway. And I stayed in in middle Georgia. 
For years, my flagship station, WSB, where I had a local show for a long time, they didn't like me to tell people that I lived in Macon. Uh, Macon, Georgia, for those of you unfamiliar with Georgia, is in the it's the geographic center of Georgia. There's actually a marker a little way south of here about the geographic center. It's it's where the first baptism in uh, North America took place by Hernando uh, de Soto on the banks of the Mulgee River when the Spanish explorers came into America. There's a marker just south of our city. And I live in, in middle Georgia. I live on the north end of, of Bibb County. It is an hour and 15 minutes to my office. For a long time, I commuted every day. Uh, when I was with CNN for the longest time, I had to commute every day. And it was an hour and 15 minute drive back and forth. Gas prices would bankrupt me now, but back then gas was fairly affordable and I could do it. And I didn't mind the drive because it gave me time to decompress. It gave me time to plan out the show in my head and on the way home, kind of unwind, listen to music, uh, have meetings and, and go out to dinner with people. I was coming home late, um, but I could, I could see people take meetings and over time, with my wife's health and my kids at home during the summer and the like, we put a we put a studio in the house and I could do my show at home and I go to the office once a week or so. I try to go up. People are always like, oh, we'll try to rearrange when you're in the Atlanta. I'm like, no, no, I'm willing to come to Atlanta. I'm willing to come up there, get out of the house, be in the city, be in the office. You got you to gotta be in the office, you know, to, to figure out who's been fired and hired and, and whose butt you need to kiss today because it always changes in radio. <laughs> but... So I live in middle Georgia. I work in Atlanta, commute to Atlanta every week or so, uh, once a week. But then I deal with the national media all the time. Uh, I deal with people at HBO. I deal with people at CNN. I deal with people at Fox News and News Nation. I deal with reporters from the New York Times to the Washington Post to the, the London Telegraph and the London Gar Guardians. On a, on a daily basis, there's someone in the news media of America calling me. So I have perspective living in middle Georgia, going to my church, my kids in their school, living and being in Atlanta, working in Atlanta, interacting with my listeners. I have a sense of the bubble that I am in and in the bubble that I am not in. And because I have to deal with so many people in Washington on a daily basis and in New York and in Los Angeles, I have a sense of the bubbles that they're in. And it allows me, I think, more than a lot of people to be able to depart from my bubble and see the world the way other people see it. And one of the things I'm increasingly mindful of is that other people in their bubbles have a hard time breaking through. And if you're in Washington, D.C., whether you're in the Republican bubble or the Democrat bubble, it is harder and harder for you to break out of your bubble and see beyond your bubble and see what works and what doesn't. It gets very hard. You, this is why people do focus groups now so much in politics because they need to see what people outside their bubble are saying and they need to figure out a way for people inside their bubble to connect to people outside the bubble. You gotta connect outside the bubble to the real world in order to win elections because your tribe alone doesn't have the votes to win. I am noticing increasingly it is the Democrat bubble by which they have the harder time penetrating and breaking through. But I want to talk about our bubble for a minute, those of us on the right. Because you need to, you, you got to hear this to get to the Democratic bubble. And I'm going to, I'm going to pop into reality. And some of you aren't going to like it. What happened on January 6th was bad. A group of people fueled by lies advanced by the president and the fringe 
stormed the U.S. Capitol to try to stop Congress from certifying the Electoral College results. When they began to perceive that Mike Pence was not down for their plan, many of them started chanting, hang Mike Pence. Some of them erected a gallows and others went in search of Mike Pence. In the process, there was a woman named Ashley Babbitt who got shot and killed by a Capitol Hill police officer. You can see the security footage. There's a mob trying to break through to the speaker's lobby. You literally can see members of Congress on the security camera running for their lives as this mob is trying to storm through the the lobby of the speaker's house or the speaker's lobby in the Capitol and grab them. They've already built the, the gallows. They've already got the noose made. And Babbitt tries to smash through a window and climb through to unlock the door so the mob can get through to the fleeing members of Congress. And a Capitol Hill police officer does his job and shoots her and she dies. In the right-wing bubble, Ashley Babbitt is a patriot and the police officer who killed her is the bad guy. In the real world, in the honest world, in the true world, Ashley Babbitt was the bad guy and the police officer did his job. To say that, puts me on the wrong side of some of you. But no amount of pushback undermines the truth and no amount of your mythology can separate from the truth that Babbitt was part of the mob trying to break into Congress and grab members of Congress and overturn the Electoral College. And President Trump's continued advance of his lies about the election is frankly, I think, disqualifying for 2024. And his base is starting to get mad at him for his inability to let go of it. Uh, whether it's uh, what his base of voters did in Georgia, reelecting Brian Kemp or being mad at him in, in Pennsylvania for going with Mastriano instead of Barletta, or now with Mo Brooks and the situation in, in Alabama where uh, Donald Trump has now endorsed a Chamber of Commerce Republican who helped get a gas tax passed in Alabama over Mo Brooks, who's a solid conservative. That That's our bubble. That's our bubble that I got to penetrate sometimes. There's another bubble that's a bigger bubble than our bubble because it's the bubble the media and the Democrats reside in together. It's the bubble wherein January 6th is the only thing that matters. 19 million Americans watched the primetime January 6th hearing. Actor Mark Hamill, who played Luke Skywalker, was the voice of the Joker in the Batman animated series, popped popcorn for it. Essentially... Those 19 million people out of 80 million people who voted for Joe Biden, yes, I believe 80 million people did vote for Joe Biden, and the extent that you don't is part of your bubble. But 80 million people voted for Biden, only 19 million watched that primetime hearing. Those were religious progressives, secular progressives, communing together in a religious experience to hate Donald Trump together. Some of them probably put on their N95 masks to further their virtue signaling while watching that hearing. No matter what the Democrats tell us, I want to be clear about something. January 6th was not almost a coup. January 6th was not almost the end of our democracy. And January 6th amounted to nothing. Had they been successful, had they broken in, had they disrupted Congress so much that Congress couldn't count the Electoral College votes that day, the Supreme Court, the military, the elected members of Congress, all of them could have done other things. It wasn't the end of America as we know it. It was bad. It wasn't a good day, but there were plenty of constitutional measures. And to the extent the Democrats and the media reside in the same bubble, they are convinced that our democracy came within a hair's length of being destroyed. What's so ironic about that 
is the very same Democrats who tell us that our democracy nearly ended that day are the same Democrats who tell us the Senate is illegitimate and must be abolished, the Electoral College must be abolished, and the Supreme Court must be packed with a bunch of progressives. And also, if you disagree with any of that, you need to be shut up and social media needs to turn your account off. All of these talking points exist on the left from the exact same people, It's and they contradict each other. You can't say our democracy almost ended, our constitutional order almost collapsed, and also we need to end our constitutional order. It, it doesn't make sense, and yet that's what the Democrats do. This is the same Democratic Party that pioneered having attorneys general in the nation not defend lawful statutes passed by state legislatures if those Democratic attorneys general thought it might not advance their career. Take gay marriage, for example. Regardless of the Supreme Court outcome, a number of Democrat attorneys general after state legislatures or the people through constitutional measures banned gay marriage in their states decided, oh, we're not going to fight this in court. We're not going to fight for it. We're not going to advocate for it. Even though it's our job, we're not going to do it. It undermined the rule of law there, and they were perfectly fine doing it. And that's that's not it. Immigration and other issues, Democrats have refused to enforce the law. Democrats have refused to advocate in court. They don't show up for cases. And the media, by the way, is totally fine with it as long as it's a Democratic cause. So last week, a man showed up to kill Brett Kavanaugh. The media buried the the story. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez Refused to condemn it. The poster child for the progressive left in Congress refused to condemn it. The Washington Post labeled it a local crime story. The Democrat-controlled House of Representatives has refused to pass legislation to increase security for the Supreme Court. Do you know that in the last two weeks, a dozen pregnancy centers in the country have been attacked? Four of them firebombed. The others vandalized, red paint thrown on the doors because they're operated by Christians. They're pregnancy centers that don't perform abortions. They help mothers with their children. They give them free supplies. They give them ultrasounds and tests, and you can come in when the child is born and get vaccines and see a pediatrician mostly for free, in many cases completely for free. And they're being vandalized by progressive abortion activists and the media has chosen not to report on those stories. But tell me how January 6th is the worst thing ever, Democrats. And you know, here's the stunning irony. The Democrats are convinced that our country is on the verge of destruction. It's democracy on the verge of demise because we've moved on from January 6th. But if they bothered to study history, they bothered to study history at all, what they would see is that the thing that makes it most likely for a democracy to turn upside down for a country to embrace authoritarianism is the very thing Democrats have caused that they don't want to fix, high inflation. High inflation led to Hitler. High inflation led to the Ayatollah. High inflation led to Mao. High inflation leads to dictators and authoritarians. And the Democrats are so committed in their bubble to climate change that they can't do anything to expand domestic oil production and energy costs are the chief factor for our inflation right now. If they would expand energy and and lose the the hostage uh, of climate change, stop being held hostage by the climate change environmentalists, they could actually fix inflation, but they're refusing to do it because of their dogma inside their bubble. And so while they're fixated on January 6th, they're actually seeding the ground for the very sorts of democratic instability they say they're worried about because democratic instability always historically comes from economic instability. 
And the Democrats are too blind to their bubble to see it. So spare me the lectures on January 6th when you Democrats have ceded the ground for massive instability in this country with your own actions and your own refusal to get rid of your own dogma within your bubble. There are a lot of options out there. If you're a self-starter and you want to invest on your own, it can be really confusing. And I'm delighted to tell you about SoFi because that's who I use. And now I've got them as an advertiser. If you're a SoFi user, uh, my gosh, you get all sorts of options, great research. You get the ability to invest in stocks, EFTs, crypto, plan out your retirement. Uh, More importantly, you got people you can call on. I mean, for example, um, I can use SoFi to buy stocks and EFTs and do the deep dive research if I need to and get complimentary financial planners ready to help answer questions. Uh, You can too, whether you're stuck on where to start or need help deciding what to do next. You can even save for retirement with traditional Roth and SEP IRAs. They have so many options. If you're into crypto, you can also explore crypto. They've got 30 available coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, Solana, Dogecoin, and so much more. But more importantly, they've got the number one ranked automated investment tool, their robo-advisor. It takes the stress out of building and managing a diversified portfolio without having to pay a bunch of experts to do it. I really like SoFi. Y'all, I've tried, you name it, and I probably tried it. And I settled on SoFi and think you will like it as well. Cut through the jargon, make investing easier with SoFi. Visit SoFi.com slash Eric to learn how you can win up to $1,000 in stock when you open an account. That's SOFI.com slash Eric. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC. Member Fin. Hi there, it is Eric Erickson. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Let's go to the phone. Steve, you're up next. Welcome to the program. Hey, how are you? First time caller. And uh, just had an idea over the weekend. I want to throw this out to you. So we've got a problem with school shootings. We also have a lot of people that uh, have free time on their hands. I'm thinking about in particular, the Georgia Guard and the Georgia National Guard. These people have already been vetted for security. A high percentage of them are trained in firearms, and I suspect that there would be a good percentage that would be willing to volunteer time to act as security personnel in our school system for little or no cost. Look, uh, that- I'm kind of surprised that we haven't done this. I mean, even like the, the, the fathers of some of the kids who they're in the military, they're home for a while. Well, I, it, it's shocking to me that we haven't figured this out. Well, I mean, look at a lot of the Georgia Guard people are, I hate to say senior citizens, but they're older people. A lot of them are looking for purpose in life. Hey, this is a great thing to occupy their time and give them something meaningful to do. And candidly, I know a lot of National Guardsmen, and, you know, they go to these weekend drills. They're not exactly working hard during most of the drills. In fact, by and large, they're looking for something to do. So Mm -hmm. if you gave them uh, some credit for school security work against their weekend drill time, it becomes a win-win, doesn't it? Yeah, look, I think it does. Um, and I, I think there are ways to do that and we should be thoughtful about it. I mean, even just the, the number of retirees from the military out there right now, ooh, forget active national guard members and the like, um, it, we, this legislation that the Senate is advancing would increase the number of school resource officers in the country. 
I think we should like give priority to veterans who many of them have been in combat situations. It's not going to be like, as we know, the Uvalde police now who didn't rush into the building. Now, I, I got I to gotta play you some audio real quick, something completely unrelated. The RNC has pushed this out, and I need you to listen to this news report. Here, let me see. Store shelves is tampon. Women are not only faced with a baby formula shortage, but now tampons are in short supply across the U.S. Reports of shortages in feminine hygiene products have been circulating. Tampons, especially, have become difficult to find. The brand missing the most on store shelves is Tampax. Its maker, Procter and Gamble, released a statement acknowledging that some consumers may be currently be unable to find what they need. According to a spokesperson, the company is working with retailers and producers using tampons around the clock to make sure shelves don't remain empty. And according to experts, the rising price of raw materials like cotton are part of the reason for the shortage and a spike in tampon and pad prices. Question. I have a question. Is part of the shortage due to all of the men who have become women who now use them? I mean, do, do we now have more women entering the market through identity? And because they now identify as women, they, they solidarity sister, I got to go find someplace to put one of these, whether I have the appropriate place or not. And I mean, that it could totally be there are so many more women now with all the guys wanting to be women that it's part of the there's there's a demand issue, too. We just got too many women now with all these men identifying as women. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be a part of this here program, you're more than welcome to call in. I got a, where's the story? Where is it? I had it. It was there and then it disappeared. Oh, yep. Here we go. I got it. Yep. We gotta, we gotta go. We'll, we'll have to deal with Ukraine later because this is just, this is this is kind of a goofy story, odd story, frustrating story. This is the headline for the Washington Post. Inside Biden's frustration with soaring prices. President Biden seemed upbeat when he visited an Iowa biofuels plant in April to talk about bringing down gas prices. Standing before a large tractor as he declared that biofuels have a role to play right now and announced a plan to expand the use of ethanol over the summer. But privately, Biden dismissed the policy as ineffective and questioned the value of the trip, according to two people familiar with the conversations. After returning to the White House, he hauled his senior staff, including Chief of Staff Ron Klain, into the Oval Office, badgered them with questions about the purpose of the event. Biden had worried even before the announcement that it exaggerated ethanol's ability to cut gas prices and could harm his climate goals, the people said, speaking on the condition of anonymity to discuss private conversations. But Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack and other officials urged Biden to go, arguing it would at least help the Midwest and the White House, after all, was desperate for ways to lower gas prices. The episode illustrates the White House's months-long challenge to dampen rising prices and the president's increasing frustration with his administration's inability to do so. The problem has ballooned over the last year, consuming the president's top aides and threatening his domestic agenda, his international priorities, and his party's political prospects. We can stop there. Because I want to spend a little bit of time on gas prices in general.
Uh, this is one of the most bizarre episodes out there right now is watching the the president and his administration um, flail around, unable to uh, figure out what the heck is actually going on and how to deal with the issues that uh, are plaguing the economy. There are a lot of issues plaguing the economy, and number one among them is energy. And listen to the Secretary of Commerce try to uh, excuse the president on this. Am I comfortable? I mean, I certainly support the president and his uh, national security team. Uh, no one knows more about you know national affairs uh, than President Biden. And I would say that he is very serious when the president, when he says he's going to use every arrow in his quiver in order to bring down gas prices for Americans. Right. Every arrow in his quiver except expanding production. Here's Jared Bernstein of the White House, his economic president's economic advisor. So if you listen to the president's three point plan on fighting inflation, he put number one as Fed independence for a reason. Uh, it is the primary inflation fighting institution, uh, both here and globally. And uh, inflation, of course, uh, very much exacerbated by uh, Putin's war. Uh, is in fact a global issue. So we need a Fed that is independent and I'm not going to get into granular prognostications. Blaming Putin there. Now now that they push back at CNBC on the whole Putin issue. I want to know if there's uh, more to the answer. And the reason I, I, I say that is, you know, Ukraine, COVID obviously uh, have exacerbated the situation. But I think even if you were to take those both of those pieces off the table, we would still be having uh, an inflationary story. Absolutely, because, well, first of all, we're having an inflationary story in every advanced economy uh, in the globe, and, and in fact, inflation is historically elevated everywhere. So it's certainly not just one country's fiscal or monetary policy. But then the question I, is, I, what did the White House miss? And, and what's the lesson of that? I don't think the White House missed much uh, at all in the following sense. We have a team, and I, I know you're pushing in a different direction, but I, I think looking forward, this is what's most important. We have a team of seasoned people here led by a president who believes that we have to do everything. We don't sit on our hands and hope that these forecasts for stable growth and inflation slowing down come true. Um, he doesn't think they miss much. Listen to Joe Biden. But make no mistake about it. I understand inflation is a real challenge to American families. Today's inflation report confirmed what Americans already know. Putin's price hike is hitting America hard. Gas prices at the pump. Energy and food prices account for half of the monthly price increases since May. Inflation outside of energy and food what they, the economists call core inflation, moderated the last two months. Not enough, but it moderated. It's come down. We need it to come down much more quickly. My administration is going to continue to do everything we can to lower the prices to the American people, and the Congress has to act, and they have been of late. That it's moderated. That, that He says it's moderated. Uh, Larry Summers was asked about all this, and Janet Yellen saying she they shouldn't have and would not have done anything different passing their American rescue plan that spent all the money? Secretary Yellen, who has the job you once had, said this week that, quote, there is nothing to suggest a recession is in the works. Do you agree with that? No, I don't. 
You think um, a recession is in the works? I think that when infl I think when inflation is as high as it is right now, and unemployment is as low as it is right now, it's almost always been followed within two years by inflation, by by recession. I look at what's happening in the stock and bond markets. I look at where consumer sentiment is. I think there's certainly a risk of recession in the next year. And I think given where we've gotten to, it's more likely than not that we'll have a recession within the next two years. Yeah, that, that's, that's very likely. Now there's this. I'm, I'm going to weave all this stuff together. Just follow along with me here. This is this is uh, from the Financial Times today. U.S. oil producers ignore Biden's rallying call to drill. As U.S. petrol prices scale record highs, with the cost of a gallon of fuel surpassing five dollars for the first time, Joe Biden has pleaded with the country's oil producers to open the taps and stem the surge. But those calls a stark departure for a president who vowed to crack down on fossil fuels, have largely gone unheeded as the industry insists its drilling spree days are behind it. When the White House started calling around in a panic, they thought shale oil production could go up sharply in the near term, like in a matter of months or quarters, said Bob McNally, head of consultancy, Rapidian Energy. They were shocked to learn that's like asking for blood from a stone. It's almost impossible. U.S. petrol prices have soared to unprecedented levels as the war in Ukraine exacerbates an already tight global oil market. On Saturday, American motorists were paying an average of $5 a gallon at the pump, according to AAA Motoring Group. In California, they're paying over $6 a gallon. For consumers, prices at the pump have become one of the most visible impacts of rampant economic-wide inflation. The administration has scrambled to stem the tide. It's released record volumes from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, waived anti-pollution rules, leaned on producers in the Middle East to pump more. But with prices continuing to climb, the White House has urged the domestic industry to raise production, which at around 11.6 million barrels a day last month remains well below its pre-pandemic peak of 13 million barrels. I want to spend a few moments on this. You know, my dad worked in the oil industry for years. I grew up in Dubai. I was an oil kid, not a military kid. I know a little bit about the industry. I have a lot of friends in the oil industry. I want to be as intellectually honest as I can so you can talk to your friends about this. Here is the reality. There are a lot of external factors separate from the president that he cannot control that have caused oil production to decline, gas production to decline, and oil prices to go up. That's true. But there are also a lot of factors that the president has played a direct role in. The president of the United States canceled the Keystone XL pipeline that would have increased oil flow to the Gulf of Mexico and oil refineries and put it onto the world market. He got rid of ANWR, the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, drilling. Not only did he do that, but the White House applied pressure to Wall Street to stop funding the oil project and to cut the loans for the oil project, threatening the private equity groups that were going to fund the project. So Wall Street pulled away because of White House pressure, and then they shut the project down and said, well, Wall Street wouldn't give the money, but it was all coordinated by the White House. 
the president himself was asked in the 2020 debate if he was willing to sacrifice economic growth in this country and hurt oil-producing states and those in the oil industry to transition us to a green future, and he said yes. The answer is yes. That's him, not me. The president of the United States declared his hostility to the oil industry generally and said he was going to stop the production of oil in the United States. That's him, not me. So we're now at this issue. Let me let me read you part of this Financial Times bit. One factor behind the reticence of the oil industry to start producing more oil is Wall Street, which was burned by huge losses as domestic oil companies consistently poured revenues into ever greater growth. Now these shareholders from Wall Street are demanding returns. Investor demands are being heated over those of the White House. The amount of cash generated by operators this year is set to be greater than the total earned over the last two decades. Now, what does that mean? It means that the people who have long invested in oil and gas want their money back now because the president of the United States has declared war on petroleum in this country. When the most powerful man on the planet and his entire administration come after you, you tend to pay attention. And this president says he wants to end the oil industry. So the investors in oil companies now want to get cash out. They don't want to put money in to expand production. That's a reality. It's caused by this White House's economic plans. On top of that, the president has driven up the regulatory costs for drilling on lands. A lot of Democrats tell me, well, you've got all these unused leases. You've got all these unused leases. You have unused leases, one, because these investors don't want to commit after the president says he wants to put the industry out. But also those who do are faced with stiff regulatory hurdles and approvals, and the White House has not slowed any of those down. In fact, there's a backlog of approvals that the White House has to deal with that they could expedite to get more drilling. There's also a problem with the steel shortage that the president has little control over, but some control over, bringing in foreign sources of steel for the petroleum industry that they need for plants. They could do that. The White House has chosen not to do that. Time and again, while there are plenty of issues outside the control of this White House, time and again, this White House, when it has had the opportunity to meaningfully impact production in this country, has chosen to do the exact opposite Every time this White House is given the opportunity to increase production, exploration, investment, and drilling of oil in this country, the White House has done everything to disincentivize all of the above. There are absolutely factors outside the control of this White House. There are a lot of well-meaning people who have bought the media line that there's nothing this White House can do. But they bought the line of a media that is invested in a climate change narrative that we must stop drilling. The members of the media who tell you there's nothing this White House can do are simply lying to you because for the greater good, they believe the climate change issue is more important. And so they'll tell you there's nothing the president can do and we should move on for the sake of the environment because they believe the world comes to an end in a decade. The majority of Americans, however, would like gas prices to come down and they're not going to be buying a battery powered car anytime soon. If the media were honest about this issue, they would be more nuanced and they would admit there are lots of factors outside the control of this president, including the capacity of refineries to convert the oil to gas. But there are actually a great many factors that are inside control of this White House, including their willingness to bully Wall Street to stop investing in oil and gas their willingness to curtail access to cheap steel for the petroleum industry, 
their willingness to throw entities off federal land and stop them from drilling on federal land, their willingness to shut down projects like Yanwar and the Keystone Excellent Pipeline that themselves do not impact oil, but overall systemically do. They could fix this problem if they wanted to, but they don't really want to because, again, in 2020, Tim Alberta asked the president in the PBS Politico debate, are you willing to hurt the long-term growth of this country in order to transition us to a clean future? And Joe Biden said yes. And you don't have to believe me. Those are Joe Biden's own Three consecutive American presidents have enjoyed stints of explosive economic growth due to a boom in oil and natural gas production. As president, would you be willing to sacrifice some of that growth, even knowing potentially that it could displace thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of blue-collar workers in the interest of transitioning to that greener economy? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Friends, one thing you can get and get a good deal on, even with all this inflation out there, is the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. You can get three of them for less than $200. You know, they're normally over $100 each, but you can get three of them for less than $200. The price hasn't gone up yet. I'm telling you, you need to get your Eden Pure Thunderstorm because it eliminates odors. It gets rid of the dust and the pollen and the mold that's floating in the air of your house because it's an air purifier. And it's filterless, so you don't have to get subscriptions. You just swipe it out on occasion. But the big thing for me is it eliminates the odors. It's a big thing for me because, for example, um, this Friday I'm going over to Louisiana to see my dad um, for Father's Day weekend. I'll be back Sunday morning early. I'm leaving after the show on Friday. I'll really only have Saturday with him. But the last couple of times I've gone over, my rental car has stunk to high heaven. Someone smoking something in the car. And the Eden Pure Thunderstorm, every time, has taken care of it. I can plug it in with the USB cord, even into the USB port in the car. Or if it, the car's got an outlet, I can plug it in with, like, the power outlet. But most of them just use the USB cord, and it wipes out the odors in the car. Same with the hotel room. If it's musty smell, sometimes I've stayed in an older hotel. It's kind of musty smelling. Eden Pure takes care of it. I keep it in my suitcase. I travel with it. It's small. It's portable. It works. You can get three of them for less than $200. You go to EdenPureDeals.com, and you put in the discount code ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3. It's EdenPureDeals.com. You get three of them for less than $200. You save $200. And you get free shipping, EdenPureDeals.com. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. I don't want you to accuse me of having taken Joe Biden out of context. So I, I went back into the archive. I found the full clip. I want you to listen to this. This is from the PBS Politico Democratic presidential debate. What's happening right now is what Joe Biden said he wanted. Vice President Biden, I'd like to ask you, three consecutive American presidents have enjoyed stints of explosive economic growth due to a boom in oil and natural gas production. As president, would you be willing to sacrifice some of that growth, even knowing potentially that it could displace thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of blue collar workers in the interest of transitioning to that greener economy? The answer is yes. The answer is yes, because the opportunity, the opportunity for those workers to transition to high paying jobs. Tom said, is real. We're the only country in the world that's ever taken great, great crises and turned them into enormous opportunities. Yes. Yes, he said. Yes. He wants to convert them to high-paying jobs. How do you convert them to the high-paying jobs when uh, the economy is where it is because of your high gas prices? This was part of his plan. This is what Joe Biden said. But it went beyond that. Remember this as well. Number one, 
No more subsidies for fossil fuel industry. No more drilling on federal lands. No more drilling, including offshore. No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period. Ends. Y'all, uh, Joe Biden's just doing exactly what he said he would do. He, he's keeping his promise. I mean, kudos to him for keeping his promise, even though it's destroying our economy. It's all part of Joe Biden's plan. You remember that when they deny it. He said he was going to do this, and he is.